the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Isn't that powerful to remember that Jesus lives and that changes everything? It's a game changer. And this morning we're starting a new series called Game Changers and we're celebrating these things that are what we're supposed to be, who we're supposed to be in this world. You, you probably had several moments in your life that were game changers. It changed everything. That moment happened. You met someone. You lost someone. You married someone. Uh, I don't know what the change might have been. You started a new job. You lost a job. But there have been moments. You know them, right? Raise your hand if you know what I'm saying. That, that moment changed everything. And you probably know some people that they changed everything, right? You knew some ideas the first time it finally hit you and you got it, you really understood it, it changed everything. Well, as Christians, we are called to be game changers in this world. And anything less than that is not God's ultimate will for us. Pursuing that, uh, the staff and uh, the leadership here at Morrison Hill, we have been working with a group called the Three Rivers Collaborative for quite some time. For the next seven weeks, I'd like to share some of the things that we've been praying about and mulling over and learning and studying and, and, and working together. Somebody asked me recently, where do you get all of the sermons? Do you download them somewhere? Or where, where, where do you get What website is it? What book is it? Almost everything you hear is, is, is original. It's stuff, and we try. It's stuff that just comes out of us seeking God and asking him, God, what do you want to say to your people right now? And then we study and study and pray and pray. This is one of the rare occasions where I'm actually using some other people's ideas to, to outline this series and it's because we think this is so important. And all the unpacking is us collectively. But the, I, at the top of each one of these little sermon outlines that you have, which are always Bible studies, if you're new, that's always our dream. You take these home and you actually study back through those on your own. Let the Holy Spirit give those ideas another chance in your heart. A lot of intro, but here we go. You ready? At the top of that sermon outline, you'll see this. It's kind of college words, so sorry for how deep this is, but the practical part of it is so real, and this is what we're talking about today. It says, transformative churches understand their identities and have a strong missional anthropology. That means they, are, they really know who they're trying to reach and why. They're able to exegete their current cultures. In other words, they really understand who they're trying to reach and why. They have authentic, active engagement with their communities and the ability to adapt and innovate as the culture changes without altering or weakening their foundational beliefs and callings. That's a lot, but that's the heart of what we're trying to do and what we're exploring today. The idea that we be the church more than ever before. We get more Christ-like and more biblical as time goes by rather than drifting the other way. But at the same time that we reach an ever-changing, ever-evolving culture. Two things have to happen for that to happen. One, our focus has to be relentlessly outward. We have to constantly be reaching outside of these walls. In every single way, God can help us do that. The second thing that has to happen is when people do join our community, that they find it to be a genuinely transformative community. We are being changed together to become more and more like Jesus. 
Anything less is just not what Jesus had in mind. Are we tracking so far? Hallelujah. We're going to keep going. Um, in baseball, one of, the, one of the illustrations they actually used at Three, um, three Rivers for us uh, was, <laughs> I love that picture, that's sliding in, that's so cool. Anyway, um, one of the, one <laughs> I'm sorry, I got distracted. You, you guys know, Noah actually does the graphics for this, and sometimes it's the first time I've seen it, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool, that's a great one. I just said a baseball player getting on base, and this is why we get that. I love it, I love it. Anyhow, in baseball, there's this thing called Saber Metrics. And basically what it boils down to is this. They've studied over baseball, and yes, it makes a difference for there to be some star players, somebody who can really hit home runs consistently, some really good first baseman, that kind of stuff. But what really wins games is if the entire team can consistently get on base and get on base and get on base and make runs. If the whole team is pretty good, you win more games than if just one or two people are extremely good. And that's changed the game of baseball. And understanding that, it changed how they recruit and how they budget. And it changes a lot of different things. It's a game-changing idea. And that's part of what we're trying to, again, capture here is, is remember, what is the stuff that actually gets the work done? What is the stuff that actually works? What is the stuff that Jesus really cares about? What's the stuff that actually makes a difference? Last week, I mentioned the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. Again, those two books go together. They also harmonize really well with Haggai and Zechariah, if you've ever read those books. Both of those prophets were alive during that same era, and a lot of their prophecies in those books are talking to the people in that time. So it all kind of harmonizes together. But there's this cool story in the middle of the book of Ezra where the king, who's kind of financing their project, believe it or not, sends some people to get a report back. And in the middle of their report... This is what they say. This is the answer they gave us. These are the people giving the report. They went and they're, they're asking Ezra and his team, so how's it going? Who are you? Why are you doing what you're doing? This is the answer they gave us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago. Now they could have said several other things that also would have been true. They could have said, we're the guys that the king sent to do this job. They could have said, uh, we're the people that are putting bricks and mortar together. We're the people that are living here right now. There's a lot of things that were also true, but these guys knew exactly who they were and what they were about. They were the people of God and they were rebuilding the temple that had been built long ago and had been torn down because his people had rejected him. Are you following me? They knew exactly who they were and what they were about. And that's the report they sent back to the king. I think that's inspiring. I think it's also interesting to, and, and very important that we remember that Jesus, listen carefully, I don't want you to misunderstand me on this. This is important. Jesus never called us to just be better. When he called fishermen, he didn't try to make them better fishermen. He made them fishers of men. When he called Jews, he didn't try to make them better Jews and make all their fellow Jews like them better and respect them more. He called them into something completely different, even though it was rooted in their faith. When he called Gentiles, he didn't try to make them more popular Gentiles. He didn't try, when he called men or women, to ask them to get 
better at being whatever their culture defined as being manly or womanly at the time. He called them into something else. Jesus was a game changer, and he always calls his people to be game changers as well. Let's say that together. We are game changers. One more time. Don't just say it. Say it if you mean it, okay? Say it like you mean it, and if you don't mean it, don't say it. We are game changers. See, Jesus Christ's kingdom transcends all the other kingdoms that there's ever been, all the kingdoms that there are right now, and all the kingdoms there will ever be. His kingdom is not of this world. It's in this world, but it's not of this world. It's different. It's a whole other thing. It's bigger than anything else that we can imagine. It's different in ways that we could never create ourselves. We're called to help people get that. We're called to be transformed to live that. That's what the Apostle John is talking about when he says, If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And as we choose to live as Jesus did, we start to see things from his perspective. We start to feel things that he feels. We start to automatically do things he does. And if this transformation isn't happening, we're missing something. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans 12 when he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what his will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll notice we've actually kind of marinated in parts of Romans 12 and a couple other passages already. And it's because these are foundational. This is real. The rest of that passage starts outlining the body of Christ and how we're all designed to work together and how the Holy Spirit gives all of us specific gifts. And even the leadership gifts are designed to empower the rest of the body to use their gifts. And we need all the gifts and we need the Holy Spirit to constantly be in charge of who gets which gifts and how they they are used. I hope this is super familiar to you. We'll keep coming back, but that should be really familiar to you by now. Romans 12 continues talking about love that the entire body should have for themselves and for the people around them. One verse as an example says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Another one, Paul is actually quoting Proverbs 25, 21, and he says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. One of the things we really don't do here at Morrison Hill is just follow trends and build our stuff around whatever is going viral at the moment. But we're not oblivious. We know what's going on, and we're praying for Ukraine right now. We're praying for our brothers and sisters in Russia and in Ukraine. We're praying for God's will in that situation. And as I was watching, just like probably a bunch of you guys still are, trying to see what's going on, trying to figure it out, trying to know how to pray, I saw something that really reminded me of what we're talking about here. And it's this woman. Maybe you saw this. She's a Ukrainian woman. The man who's drinking there and talking on her cell phone is a captured Russian soldier. 
She, they capture him, but then she gives him food and drink and lets him use her cell phone to call his mom and let his mom know that they were okay. I don't know for sure if this lady is a Christian, but that's what it looks like to be in the world, but not of it. Are you guys seeing what I'm seeing here? It's more important to her to do the right thing for another human being than it is to be a, a loyal Ukrainian. It's more important for him to be doing the right thing and call his mom than to be a loyal Russian. It transcends that. Sometimes the right thing just transcends everything else that's going on at the time. And it's that right thing that is so important for us to constantly be focusing on. That's what we are trying to do here. And the right thing for us as Christians is always whatever Jesus is most upset about. What Jesus is much really excited about. What Jesus is all passionate about. And who we are in him. We always keep a little bookmark available out there in the atrium. It's available now. It's over there by the big idea board right now. By the way, if you've got some good ideas about how to reach out or how to uh, be, have a transformative group here, uh, we'd love to have your ideas. It's all at the same spot. It's right over there where you get coffee. We'd love you to visit those and take those. But those bookmarks come from a guy named Dr. Neil Anderson. He says, understanding your identity in Christ is absolutely essential for your success at living a victorious Christian life. You're going to read that one more time. Understanding your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ, your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, your, your identity as a child of God, more than any other identity you have, Understanding your identity in Christ is absolutely essential for your success at living a victorious Christian life. Don't have time to go through that entire bookmark, but here's a couple of highlights of who we are. Listen how powerful this is. Listen how if we all lived this out every day, it literally would change the game completely. Listen, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word that we translate handiwork, is a, it's an art kind of word. It, it, it means the work of an artisan. That's why sometimes it's called workmanship or translated other ways in different translations. We don't have an exact thing. But it's, it's like if a master carpenter built a table, it's a table, but it's more than just a table. Do you know what I'm talking about? A master baker bakes bread. It's bread, but there's something special about it. You know what I'm saying? If somebody paints a picture, it's a painting, but there's, there's more. This is, we, are the, we are the workmanship of God, created to do good works in this world. That is who we are. Romans 6, verses 2 and 15. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Back to the Apostle John. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know We 
One of the things that's kind of confusing for non-Christians and even most Christians from America especially, I think, is we like to separate things out. We like to put things in boxes. We like to say, this is my church life, my church friends, this is my home life, my work life, those friends. You know what I'm talking about? This is my spiritual life. This is my whatever else. The Bible doesn't do that. We like to go, hey, this person is saved, this person is not saved. What moment did they get saved? And we fight over which moment that is. The Bible just doesn't separate all that stuff. It's one great big picture. It, 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 who you are is what you do. And what you do is who you are. And if you have faith in God, that means you believe in him enough that you actually follow him and you do what he says to do. And you don't do the things that he says not to do. It, you actually live out this identity. You get it done. Can we be saved on our own works? That was a question. Can we? No. But are we the handiwork of God designed to do good works? Yes, you were listening just a couple minutes ago. And you can't separate those. We're not saved because we just do all these great things and God has to save us. But he saves us so that we can do the great things. And there's no separation in that vision. It's one great big thing. In Matthew 25, there are three stories that talk about how this works. Uh, I'm sure they're very familiar to you. The first one is about ten bridesmaids. Okay. How did they get to be bridesmaids? They were chosen, right? Not all the girls got to be the bridesmaids, just those 10. And they all got the same stuff, the same outfits, the same little lamps, same amount of oil. But you've heard the story before, right? Only five of them ended up making it into the wedding because of the choices that they made based on what they had been given. Do you see where this is going? The talents. The parable of the talents is the very next story. How many have heard this story before? All right, the rich man goes away. He gives three people money. He doesn't give everybody money. He doesn't give one gold coin to every single person in the town. He chooses three servants. They're dependent on him. They get all they have. They're 100% dependent on what he gave them. But two of them get rewarded and one gets punished because of what they did with what they were given. And then Jesus, it's not, the third one isn't technically even a story. It's an extended simile. He says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like a shepherd gathering the sheep and the goats and separating the sheep from the goats. Does this sound familiar? Once again, they're all in his flock. These are all animals that have been following the same shepherd for quite some time. But some of them, did what he wanted him to do, and some did not. The last verse there says, and then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous, as in the ones who did what they were supposed to do with what they had been given, the righteous to eternal life. Are we tracking? We're not preaching a gospel of works. We're completely dependent on Jesus. But Jesus calls us into a lifestyle that's dependent, completely dependent on him and sharing that outside of these walls. Second, huge idea. This is 
absolutely crucial and foundational for us. It always has been, always will be, but let's own it this morning. Let's say these four words together. There they are. Here we go. We are Christ's ambassadors. We represent him. Just like right now in Russia and Ukraine, there's five soldiers that are representing their their countries fighting, and there's also people that are representing their countries in little rooms, wearing suits and ties and talking to each other a little more civilly, right? But they represent them. Maybe they represent them well, maybe they represent them poorly. That's not for me to judge this morning. That's not what I'm trying to say, but they represent their countries. That lady with the cell phone and the muffin and the drink that she's sharing with the Russians, she represents Ukraine very, very well. Are you following me in this? It's so important that we hear this. We represent Jesus Christ, whether we like it or not. We are the ambassadors to the rest of the world, whether we do a good job or not. They see us coming. That's what they think of Jesus. It's so crucial that we represent him well. And it's so crucial that we see them the way he sees them because he sent us to them. He thinks that everybody outside of his kingdom is worth dying for. He thinks that everybody outside of his kingdom right now is worth sending all of his people to reach. He thinks that they can be reconciled. He thinks that they can be saved. They can be transformed too. He doesn't hate them. He doesn't write them off. He does not condemn them. He wants to save them. And he's sending us to do that. And we dare not miss that responsibility. Here's what that means for us at Morrison Hill Christian Church. It means that we have to start to see everybody we serve, each other and the people in our community, the way Christ sees them. And Rome County and every mission field that we support around the world needs to be able to see Jesus when they see us. We've got to experience We've got to model, we've got to share true reconciliation in every direction. This world is so torn up by division. Guess whose job it really is to fix that? The church. You and me. The world desperately needs it. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Would you read this last part of this passage out loud with me? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And again, righteousness doesn't just mean forgiven of bad things. It means doers of good things. You can't separate those two in God's world. From his perspective, it's all one great big thing. 
So here's a big central question today. Then we're going to start to turn the corner and come around and wrap up. It's on your thing. It's right there in the middle. How are you serving as Christ's ambassador? I'm begging you to really think about that. In fact, I'm going to be quiet for just a moment. Make sure you have a chance to think about that. Maybe underline it, do something so you'll come back. That might be a, it might mean different things to different people. Maybe it's how specifically are you serving as his ambassador? What are you tangibly doing? For some of you, it might mean, are you doing a good job or a bad job? You're doing it, but how well you do? I don't know, but that's the question I'd like you and the Holy Spirit to wrestle with. How are you serving as Christ's ambassador? You are, whether you like it or not. If you're a believer, you are his ambassador. How are you doing? What are you doing? So how do we do it? How are we supposed to do it? Here, here's, here's it. Let's say this together. Six words. We'll say it all as one. We focus on his goals for us. One more time. We focus on his goals for us. See, our identity in Christ and our role as his ambassadors in this world, those are foundational, timeless truths. That is who we are no matter what else ever changes, ever. If we were with our brothers and sisters in Russia right now, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now, that would still be true about us. It's still true about them on both sides of that conflict. It's always true. This is who we are as God's people. But our strategies, how we reach out, how we meet, how we help, how we serve, how we worship, how we do all the things that God has called us to do, those can change. And they usually should because the world does keep changing. You can't just keep pretending that it's all the same all the time. We've got to be able to adapt. Here's an example of how this works just with families. How many have ever started a big project as a family because you want to have more family time? Maybe you built a pool or planned a big trip to Disneyland or, or you, joined, you, you bought a camper and went camping every week. Anybody ever done this? A few people? Okay, good. How, how many did it kind of derail at some point? So it's like, do we have to go camping again? There's this cool thing that's going on. Do we have, Disney is next week, but that's also when this is. Why do we have to swim every day? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the way that we go about doing the thing becomes more important than the actual thing. And then we, so it, it, that doesn't mean they're not good things. But that's got to make sure, that's something that we need to guard against as a church. We've got to make sure that the way we do these things isn't more important to us than the things. Here's a couple of examples really quick through history of how this has worked. You guys know where Sunday school started? Sunday school started in the 1700s for kids that worked all throughout the rest of the week. It was actually supposed to be Sunday school. They actually taught them to read and write and all that stuff. They got to go to school because they cared about all these kids who had to work every day in factories. Little by little, fast forward, all the child labor laws got passed and so many other things, countless things in the last couple of centuries. Now Sunday school is exclusively something where we train people about the, the Bible. And for us here, it's, it's a built-in growth group opportunity. You're already here. Why don't you join one of these groups that already happened? We'll take it one step deeper. It's a great thing. But it, it, was, it's, it was somebody's idea that's kind of evolved over time. Worship has evolved and is still evolving and always will. If you came from other churches before you came here and you go 
even come back next week here. It's not always the same. It's different. And it's going to change over time. That's how that works. But the idea of celebrating what is true and good about God and good and true about life and doing it with music so we can connect with God and each other and our own souls by the power of the way God designed music to work. All of that is always going to be important. And all the other ways we worship, giving and taking communion and praying and exploring his word and serving when we leave these walls and go out to serve in all the other ways that we worship. That's what's really important, much more than which songs we sing, which instruments we play. You ever seen a food truck? Isn't it fun when you're already somewhere and the food just shows up there? Yeah. That's the, that's the image that I'd like you to think about what we need to do more as a church. What if we take all the goodness that we've got here we share it. We go where the other people are. One of the great stories, and we're about to wrap up here, but one of the great stories that I love is um, there was a brand of coffee called Land of a Thousand Hills Coffee. In 1994, there was huge genocide in Rwanda. Does anybody remember that? You need to look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. This terrible tragedy. Well, instead of just decrying it or protesting it or praying about it, there was a guy that went over there and started a coffee company, a fair trade coffee company in Rwanda, and he hired Tutsis and Hulus, the people that had been fighting, to work side by side and then shared the gospel with them. It's a very successful coffee company now that still sends most of that stuff there and still disciples people. I love that. One of my favorite ministries here at Morrison Hill, for obvious reasons, if you know me at all, is the Our Coffee Ministry. That had to evolve a lot. While we were doing, uh, during COVID and everything, there were, there were moments when everybody had masks and gloves. It looks like they were doing surgery back in there. And there, there, there was all kinds of stuff. It's changed, and it'll change even more as we go, I hope. But the whole idea is Jesus doesn't say we have to drink coffee in the Bible. I wish he would have. I, I, I like, I, I, I wish that was as important to him as it is to me, but it's not, okay? That's not a command. All that is is to facilitate the fellowship, and the fellowship is important to Jesus. And the second that our coffee ministry stops doing that, we need to stop doing coffee. And the second we think, hey, this really helps, we need to dig a little deeper and do it even more. Are you with me? Here's some other ways that we've been evolving, ways I see us evolving in the near future, and then we've got one last challenge for you this morning. Big deep breath. I want to make sure we, we're all still on the same page, right? We good? We, we need to be able to adapt. And we have the last couple of years, my goodness sake. So has all the world. Uh, a lot of you guys are joining us digitally today. That never could have happened before. Seen some brand new faces and some faces that we haven't seen for a while. And you guys have been joining us still that way. What a blessing that that's been. It's not replacing everything else. But we adapt as we need to. Our lift zone, we open up, that, that's a big opportunity that we're barely scratching the surfaces on. Um, I'll tell you more about that on another Sunday. We open up our facilities and Alcoholics Anonymous meets here. We do all kinds of other things and partner with all kinds of other ministries. But we're trying to do all of this more and more and more. And here's why. Listen, say it with me, actually. We are game changers. Can you say that? We are game changers. 
We've got to be influencing our, the community around us. We've got to be transforming each other, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us by being obedient to the things that we're called to do. We are also Christ's ambassadors. Would you say that with me? We are Christ's ambassadors. Whatever changes around the world, around us, that's still our job. We've got to figure out new ways, fresh ways to keep reaching out, no matter what that takes. Because we don't focus on the stuff we like the most. We don't focus on the stuff that's our favorite thing. We focus on him. Let's say this one more time together. We focus on his goals for us. That's who we are. That's what we do. This morning, I bet you anything that God's put something on each one of your heart. And I'm asking you to do that. For some of you, that's going to require you to walk forward maybe and make it public. For some of you, you could do it right where you are. But it's going to change something about what happens when we leave. And I'm begging you, as we stand and sing this last song, take the step God is asking you to take. Let's stand, let's sing together.